This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. J.J. Watt in the backfield. J.J. Watt, baby. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, we don't have many rules here on Cardinals Underground. There's a proverbial... Um, all opinions are your own. Own your opinion. I like that one. Okay. And then there's just the general keep your head on a swivel because you never know what's coming at you. That's awesome. And we've got a couple of headlines that will be coming at you shortly here on Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. But for the unbridled enthusiasm that is an NFL rookie. And already Danny is underwhelmed over there. I was going to say, right when you're saying unbridled enthusiasm, she's yawning. That is, that couldn't have been scripted any better. We are 22 seconds into Cardinals Underground, (laughs) and she hoists up her microphone on the headset and lets out a massive yawn. Here we go. So here we go. I mean, there's nothing more. It's not personal. There's not, it's hard not to take that personal. I'll be honest with you right here. I mean, I know. I know I'm we're, sorry. We didn't mean to distract okay. you already. A little Paul. bit. A little bit. All I right. took that personal a little bit. <laughs> Trey McBride, new tight end out of Colorado State, asked if he, is an ex, if he has experienced an Arizona summer. Darren, I don't know if you've asked this question. You were the one asking this question I, or not. This is on the teleconference with the media. I believe I, I was one of like three people that brought it up one <laughs> So, anyway, Trey McBride, Colorado State, second-round pick, says, and I quote about an Arizona summer, no, not yet. Uh, I've heard about them. I haven't experienced them, but I'm excited to see it for myself, end quote. And Darren's shaking his head. Yeah, well, because there was another there was another player, and I forget who it was. Somebody later said he, he talked about how cool it was that he was coming out here for OTAs, and we're like, <laughs> there was a bunch of us like, it's not going to be cool. I'm about to experience my first Arizona summer, and I'm not sure excited is the first word that comes to mind as I anticipate it. Well, no. you don't know what you don't know yeah. if you're a rookie. That's so true. in this case, he'll find out. Oh, he'll find out. Right about mid-June, he will find out whether he likes it or not. Danny, do you think you're mentally prepared for an Arizona summer in the big, big heat? I do, but I also will not be participating in any sort of football activities outside. So, <laughs> Wait a minute. Whoa, are you sure about that? I, I see a bunch of sporting equipment in the office. Uh, a little uh, segment uh, just launched called Game On. I, yeah, don't tell true. us you're not going to be athletic. Well, okay, that is a good point. Um, <laughs> I don't have any plans to play any football games, Kay. I should say. You'll right. still sweat plenty. I will. I've already started. Thank you. <laughs> You better bring some more energy to game on than you are so far with the <laughs> yawning right off the top. It's, you know, sometimes My I just got, this, this is the hard time of the day, right? You, really I don't is. know. I feel like I'm more tired than normal. It's not personal. We always do this at the you know same why? time. It's just, the heat's getting to you. I think I'm just still trying to recover from draft weekend, to be quite honest. <laughs> There's really? nothing wrong with that. What that was, was most exhausting? We'll interview Danny then. What was most exhausting over draft weekend for you and or what was your big takeaway? I mean, personally, it was just exhausting getting home late and then waking up early to get ready and get back up here and basically be on your toes all day in case of another trade or the shows that we were doing started earlier or anything of that nature, which we experienced uh, Thursday night with that trade. Uh, So that was just just tiring. And then, well, Sunday morning, got to give props to Kyle Deroney in our video department who... uh, completed his first triathlon so that was i woke up early sunday morning so i think that's just why i'm still recovering just just trying to get some sleep she mentioned the trade okay there we go that's our entry point you're welcome that's all he wanted was the segue we We needed the segue about that paul uh you know what there i was i don't know where you guys were there i was up on stage and uh, not gonna lie i had half eye an eye on the suns game because we had the suns game going on one jumbotron and then you had the draft on the other jumbotron and then they come in your ear the producer they're going crazy i'm like okay slow down what's going on and then i'm quoting loosely we just traded 
for Marquise Hollywood Brown. I'm like, whoa. And he'll be here in a couple of minutes. And I'm like, what do you mean he's going to be here in a few minutes? What? And they're like, yeah, they flew him down, and he'll be here. Now, it took more like 20 or 30 minutes, but there he was up on stage. And we got our first recorded instance for everyone who was out there, the Red Sea at the Cardinals draft party out on the Great Lawn at State Farm Stadium, our first ever chant of Hollywood, Hollywood. And it was a festive time had by all. Well, I mean, it was a – look, the trade came out of nowhere for – the vast majority of the people living on this planet. And it was, uh, <laughs> let's put it this way. At the time, I'm thinking it was a really good move. Um, as we sit here a few days later, uh, I, I see it as a necessary move, obviously. Um, but I, I, even without the Hopkins suspension, I felt like it was a good idea. Um, I think it's a better idea when you have him with Hopkins. Uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out with him not having DeAndre around for six games. But um, I, I like the trade. I, it makes some sense to me. I know there's a lot of fans frustrated about um, his contract situation. He's going into, uh, you know, the, the same kind of area that Kyler is in terms of probably wanting an, ex- an extension, and he's going to want a lot more money than he's making. Um, we'll see how all that goes, but um, again, I liked it. I think picking a 23, I don't think you're getting a receiver as good as him at that point, and I don't know if there was a pass rusher at that point that made sense, uh, and even though Steve Kime said the plan was to make this trade, and in hindsight, we know why, um, I, I think it, it still was a smart move given given that you get something that you know rather than rolling the dice on something you don't at 23. And And obviously that hasn't always worked out for the Cardinals. That was the same reasoning behind a lot of the free agency signings we heard from Kime on re-signing your own players, James Conner, Zach Ertz, Dennis Gardeck, players you already know what you're getting. And I agree. I think when you're at 23 and you saw who was going off the board, you're getting an immediate game changer, a a wide receiver who's coming off a thousand yard receiving season. And We had a chance to talk with wide receivers coach Sean Jefferson on Cardinals Draft Central on um, Friday evening, and he was saying he felt like he had a rabbit's foot in his pocket when he found out about the trade because just adding him to his room of receivers is just going to be immensely helpful. And given, again, that was before we even knew about the Hopkins news, which I'm sure we will get to soon. Um, and Jefferson was just saying, I'm just going to put him on the field. I don't want to do anything to mess him up. Like, he, he's a playmaker. We'll move him all around. I, I, I think what this team needed was a true number two receiver. And sure, you could say that was A.J. Green. However, there was a big drop-off when that was A.J. Green last year. Um, Hollywood Brown is coming from a team with the Ravens where he was the true number one receiver. So he has that experience and knows how to step up and, and be versatile in that sense. Um, and I think, too, it was it was a nice addition to get that extra third-round pick, 100 overall, because the Cardinals didn't have a pick in rounds four or five. They ended up not getting any through trades or anything like that. So getting that extra pick on day two where they ended up taking another edge rusher I think was a really big piece of this trade as well. Um, try and get another another player you can hopefully develop quickly enough to make a difference soon in the beginning of the season. Yeah, you got my Jay Sanders with pick number 100 yeah. in round three. And and you're right, speaking of edge rushers and Marquise Hollywood-Brown in that number 23 pick that you traded away, you could add Jermaine Johnson, who was still on the board, the edge rusher. George Karloftis was still on the board as well. He went at the bottom of round one. So we'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. I'll say this much, that, you know, Time will also tell on this crop of receivers because those six elite receivers in the draft all went by pick number 20. They were not on the board for the Arizona Cardinals. That was not an option. And Eric DaCosta, the Ravens GM, had been getting a hard time from Ravens Nation about not getting another receiver in the draft. And what he told the media, and I'm quoting, I wouldn't say it was a great receiver class in general compared to some of the years. Now that goes counter to most of the consensus opinions about this receiver class. And then he went on to say that one of the phenomena that we've seen recently is that those wide receivers get picked really, really early now. Similar to corner, they just fly off the board in some cases, maybe a round to a round and a half earlier than you'd expect. 
Eric DaCosta, the Ravens GM. So if that's the case, you know, acquiring Marquise Hollywood Brown would seem to be well bought at that point, considering, considering you know, you had the Titans going, giving up, uh, well, you had the Eagles giving up 18 to get A.J. Brown. It was around the same age. 18 and a pick themselves. Okay. Like fourth round, I think. But then about the contract, they had to give up well, a and that's the thing. four-year, $100 million contract. People want to talk about, well, wait, if you if you if how are you only getting Hollywood Brown for 23 if it only took 18 to get A.J. Brown? But it's a, it's a whole different thing. When you're spending another pick, a fourth-round pick they didn't have, number one, um, it's not as high as 18. And, yeah, you are going to have to pay this huge contract, which they're not – ready to do at this very moment now can something change and yeah we we'll see what happens in a year or two but right now the cardinals aren't in a place to give a second gigantic contract to a wide receiver and uh and that would be another reason why they wouldn't have been in that thing and it would have taken i mean what are you going to do are you going to give up a third and a first for aj brown to beat a higher first and a fourth when you you know i I just but to me the contract is every bit as much a positive as it is a negative with Marquise Brown? To no, me, I'm agreeing with that. That's two my million point, plus though. this year, and then thirteen right. next year. I'm just correct? Try- I'm just trying to talk about the people that said, "How do you not get AJ Brown for a first round pick when you could get, you know, well, and because it costs you the pick and the massive contract." And that's the thing is, there's always something involved there, and and I did. It does feel like there's a lot of Madden. Yeah. Madden players in this, and when they talking about, oh, why don't you do go do this? Why don't you go do that? And can I say this? They're two totally different receivers. This skill set that you have in Hollywood Brown is a sub four three guy, yeah. a, a true elite burner, the guy who's going to stretch the field and would seemingly be that component that DeAndre Hopkins had in Houston once upon a time. Yes, I'm going to say it. Will Fuller speed. Okay, so you you bring that kind of guy in as Darren shakes his head, and 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 you have. You just well, Fuller's have, also been suspended, by the way. On paper, by the way, you know, you at least have the components of a receiver room. And we'll get more into Hollywood Brown here in a minute and how the Cardinals think they're going to unlock a lot of this untapped potential. And, I mean, think about Baltimore's offense, too, and just the multiple tight ends and the run-heavy packages. And the, it wasn't just the number of targets. It was the kind of targets. If you look at some of the analytics – it says here that of his 91 catches in 2021, 69 were inside 10 yards or behind the line of scrimmage, while five, five were beyond 20 yards. I saw a stat, though, today, and this is this is where it's a hard balance in, in the league and when you're talking about it. In the games Lamar Jackson has started, the Ravens average almost 30 points a game. So they're doing something right. Now, it may not be exactly what Hollywood Brown wants to do, but they're obviously doing something right. True. It, it's just a totally different style of offense, right. I guess is what but, I'm saying. They're I, running a lot of 13 personnel. Mark this, Andrews is the really right. the primary target, but that, the tight end. It kind of makes it – it kind of implies that they're, they're faulty and they're not faulty. It's just – Marquise Brown wants more stats so he can justify a bigger contract. And that's why he requested the trade in the first place. And there's nothing wrong with that, but let's not you know, that's that's why he's doing it. It's and that's fine. Doesn't mean it isn't a better fit for him, right? Possibly, in his skill set in this offense. Although the, one potentially of the, one of the first things he said was he loves coming here because Hopkins is going to draw all the attention and so well, not for well, the first. Well, Hopkins not has drawn the, attention. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He's, yeah, that's right. So, in terms of defensive attention from secondaries, well, guess what, Marquise Hollywood Brown? That's going to be you over the first six games. In terms of the headlines and the media attention, that's going to DeAndre Hopkins. Because, Danny, finish your thought. Hopkins has been suspended for the first six games of the regular season for violating their PED policy. So, Cardinals now have at least a, a backup True number one, not so much a number two, but now they're number one receiver in Hollywood Brown. Well, a guy who's been a number one, I don't, I don't know right. if he fits as a true number one, but Fair. there's not much of a choice at this point. So here's some of the particulars on this. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, the six-game suspension. Yes, we've been here and done this at the beginning of a season, 2019. Patrick Peterson, similar, not exact situation. Uh, you, there's – Various bits of info on the PED policy by the NFL that a suspension of six games is warranted for a positive test of an anabolic agent. Uh, okay. 
But then there's also uh, this from the NFL.com that the suspension comes after Hopkins produced a positive test result for a prohibited substance plus a diuretic or masking agent. I think they read the wrong. I think that's incorrect. Incorrect. Okay. I I believe the NFL.com story, because I've had it pointed out to me, I think they are using the old CBA. They did not bother looking at the new CBA. And uh, I'm glad you clarified that. So the deal is this, that, because we all remember Patrick Peterson 2019. He yep. also got a six-game suspension. The CBA at the time – And it was for, for, it was for the violation for the and violation, two for masking. Two, two for masking. But they've changed – when they signed the new CBA apparently, which I didn't know until now, unfortunately, um, when they signed the new CBA in 2020, uh, they've changed the rules. So now that it's automatic six games if you get busted – and then another two on top of that with a max masking agent. Wow. So if he had a masking agent, he would have had an eight-game suspension. So now so the, the NFL.com is wrong, and that's okay. disappointing that the league's <laughs> site would have that wrong, but whatever. Yes, and it's disappointing that we're now familiarizing ourselves with the, also true. With the minutia of the PED policy, according to the NFL. But here the Cardinals are again. Now the agent says that D-Hop tested negative in October and December – but tested positive in November for the trace amounts that resulted in the positive test results. So, well, here's my question of that: How how is this just now? Is has this been known and it's just now coming out, or if if this so, is from November? So usually, what happens is is the the appeal process is longer than anybody would like, and my guess is it's been under appeal for a number of months. And the teams would be aware of that that uh, there is no, an appeal process going on. No, they wouldn't. So here's the deal. I'm not saying they can't find out. I'm not some saying somebody leaks to it. But my understanding is if a player gets in trouble with the um, either the the uh, performance enhancing policy or the substance abuse policy, the teams aren't supposed to technically, I don't believe, find out about it unless the player tells them until it's all been adjudicated. Hmm. Now that's also do disappointing. Team, do that teams find out? We're supposed to be talking Probably. football, and we're using the word adjudicated. But go ahead. I mean, do do teams find out? Yes, I'm sure they do, and, and you know, people find out. It's the same way that uh, reporters end up finding out. But I think to the letter of the law, no. If they get busted, I don't think teams find out until until the whole thing is over, and you know, you certainly got the sense when it was announced earlier this week on Monday that obviously had, it had just ended because that's why it yeah. then comes out. That's why it becomes official is because the appeal process is finally ended because that was one of the things that came out was that DeAndre Hopkins ended his appeal. And so it was probably even still going on. And this is about the – I mean, that's when Patrick Peter, Patrick Peterson's uh, suspension got announced on May 16th. <laughs> Don't have to tell me about that. You know why? Because it was the morning of his charity event. Yes, it was. And guess who was emceeing the charity event? I'm going to guess you. Pauly P.A. Mike. And I woke up this that morning with a spit take and my morning coffee, saw the news, said, oh, my goodness, do I feel bad for the guy who's got to emcee his charity event that night in the wake of this news, and it was yours truly. Now, I absolutely think the Cardinals probably had an idea, and I think Adam Schefter put out there that they did know now. How long they knew? I Schefter did say that, yes, that I, they knew. I don't know how long they knew. Like I Long enough I, to swing a deal for Hollywood yes. Brown. Like, I don't I don't necessarily think the Cardinals knew since, like, last December, but I'm, at some point they probably got looped in. And, again, for all we know, DeAndre Hopkins says, hey, guys, this is going on. All we know he did say was via Twitter where he said, and I quote, see you week seven. So the process is over. There was more than that. It was. He put out out a statement. The statement said he was confused and he was shocked and he's trying to get the bottom of it. But it's over. He He, did apologize. He did apologize. Yeah. Which, let's face it, never quite happened with Patrick. I think Patrick was pretty True. defiant about the whole thing. And yeah. obviously DeAndre is defiant in saying, I didn't do this on purpose, but he did apologize to the organization and the fans. And, and, and took accountability of that. And I feel like if anyone even follows D-Hop on social media, you would believe that he is very, seems at least, very intentional about what he puts in his body in terms of nutrition and how he takes care of his body and all of that. And in his, whether it was his Instagram story or tweet, he had said, you know, 
basically took accountability and said, I'm careful, but clearly I, I need to be more careful and I learn, I, need I, to learn more. I just struggle with this. Look, I like DeAndre. I don't think I, – I don't know. I don't know. But let's also – in general, every player that gets in trouble says, I didn't mean to do this. It's they fair. all say that. It's so. true. Well, look, you can't open this season the way the Cardinals closed last season. And you didn't have D-Hop at the end of last season, and we all saw the offense or lack thereof. And so the big fear is, are the Cardinals going to pick up where they left off, minus D-Hop? Well, the big difference being that was middle of the season, and now your coaching staff has an entire offseason to, to prepare for not having DeAndre Hopkins. So to me, there shouldn't be any excuse as to starting the season the way it ended with the sole fact that DeAndre Hopkins is not on the field. It's going to be interesting, because, and I hate to keep making this parallel, but it, it was in Cliff's first season, and, and it was Vance Joseph's first season. But, I mean, the defense struggled without Patrick Peterson, and then when Patrick Peterson came back, he didn't play very well at all. Because it can always get worse, it did. He wasn't the same player, and he's never been the same player. Yeah. And both D-Hop and Pat P are at the exact same point in their careers in terms of seasons played and age, 29, 30 years of age, both in that same area. And so you just hope and pray with DeAndre Hopkins that he is nuke, that he is the all-pro caliber receiver when he comes back. But we thought that was going to be the case with Patrick Peterson, and it wasn't. And a season later, they parted ways, and a lot of it was performance-related. And so it makes you wonder, and when you consider that his cap hit next year is almost $31 million, in 2023, D-Hop's cap hit is almost $31 million. It does make you wonder, does it not, about the future. If it wasn't for Patrick Peterson, I don't think I would think twice about it. But considering we've been here and done this before, it does make you wonder, all right, we're all focused on this season, but if you would zoom out and you look at the next couple of seasons – what exactly does it mean, and and where exactly is the organization with the player? I mean, the disappointment is real, and I think it should be. You're a professional. You're at the top of your profession. How does this happen? How do you allow it to happen? And so I know Wolf's telling me to get over it, but no, it's my right to be cheesed off right here and right now, and it's going to take a little time to get over this. Capiche? That's, that's, I mean, at some point, and I think it's justifiable, you know, fans are really frustrated, really irritated yeah. with a guy who has one job, get in the best shape possible and make sure you're eligible to play. Yeah. Fans well, aren't going to fault you if you get injured, but when it's within your control, yeah, there should be culpability. I mean, nothing you're saying is is wrong, Paul. I mean – you're you're right. There's there's a frustration factor. I'm sure there's going to be a frustration factor in the locker room to a certain extent. Although for all we know, the players have already come to grips with this because he's already talked to him. Kyler Murray tweeted something out and said, essentially said, "We've got your back, D Hop." So um, yeah, here it is. Hop's character has never been in question. We got you, family, and then a little love emoji thing from Kyler via Twitter. So I mean, again, at this point. I will say that I partially, hard for me to say, I partially agree with Wolf here in terms of now it's it's now it's more about, you know, not what Hopkins did to get suspended or, or what it means or, or what it means on that level as much as, okay, what does this team do now for those first six games? How does training camp play out? You know, DeAndre Hopkins is a guy that barely played any preseason at all. Do you say, okay, we need you to play at least a little of one of these preseason games so that you have a chance to play a little football and you're not coming back in the regular season seven weeks in, having not played since week 14 or whatever it was of the previous season? I mean, remember what Patrick Peterson said when he came back in week seven of 2019 and he was peppered with all the questions from the media in front of his locker and they said, well, how did you stay or try to get game ready? And he said, every Sunday. Yeah. Every Sunday at 1 o'clock kickoff time, I would go out to a local field and simulate a three-hour football game. Whoa. i just run sprints, and then i come off the field for five minutes as if the offense was on the field. Yeah. i go back on. I'd run reps. He said I would simulate a game. I mean, 
it, you running around in a park. A little different. A little different. <laughs> sure. Although, if I recall correctly, that first game back was in the rain in New York, and he actually did okay in that game. And, yes, and he had a pick at the end. Uh, and off a tip ball. Didn't he have a, a sack? I think it was, or maybe a, it was sack. a sack. Okay. I think he got a sack or a fumble recovery or whatever it was. Um, but after that, you know, the team started struggling, and, and he struggled. He played better those last couple games. Um, but, yeah, I mean – I, I don't know. And Deion, the thing about Hopkins is he's not a guy that normally likes to practice a whole lot in training camp either. Well, yeah, he can play in preseason games. Even once the regular season starts, he can still practice. No. no. Incorrect. He cannot Incorrect. be, cannot be It's just through preseason. Yeah, yeah once, once we get to Monday of the first week of the regular season, he cannot come to the facility until um, – and look until after the, you know, the sixth game. And you're right. You're never quite sure exactly how many of the practices that D Hop will participate in, and you know, so I'm not sure what August is going to look like. But he's eligible to participate in the practices, eligible to play oh, yeah. in the preseason games, and and there's eligible no doubt to be around here the yes. off season in the mini camp. And just like Pat P back in 2019, especially that month of August, you know, hashtag awkward. You know, it's a little awkward when the guy's walking around and he's one of your best players and highest paid players, but he's also not eligible to play once it turns to week one of the regular season. So that'll be an interesting dynamic. And I also just say that, by the way, and Danny, you cited this, how, you know, Cliff Kingsbury now has ample time, obviously, to get the offense ready and all that. And, and Cliff does a great job of taking the blame, does he not? He's a great job of, of as the head coach, being the fall guy for the locker room or a particular player, all of the above. And, you know, maybe it was the scheme when D-Hop went down, but maybe it wasn't just enough playmakers that really ailed and illed the Cardinals offense a year ago. We'll never truly know that. Cliff Kingsbury continues to take the blame for what happened to the Cardinals offense and how things really faded down the stretch. But really, was it truly – the head coach's fault and the play calling, or was it just a lack of playmakers? Well, I think, first of all, it probably could be both pretty likely of are you creating the right type of scheme and calling the right plays for the players you have on the field. Um, but I also think looking at the offensive line in terms of moves they've made this offseason or draft picks, really, really the only main one is – losing right guard Max Garcia and free agency to the Giants and signing Will Hernandez. And, of course, Chase Edmonds. But if you just want to look at the receivers from last year to now, the, the difference is you lose Christian Kirk and you get Hollywood Brown. So if we're going to talk about was the issue last year less about the play calling and more about the players on the field, I would argue you are set up for more success not having D-Hop by replacing Christian Kirk with Hollywood Brown. I'd agree with that. So I think that still goes back to what I, you, th there is no excuse of if this offense can't find a way to get rolling without D-Hop on the field the way they did last season. I think it's still very different because you have Hollywood Brown on the field now. Here's, here's what's ironical, if you will, with Hollywood Brown as a makeup award, is that Marquise Hollywood Brown is going to show up, and because of the loss of D-Hop, he's going to three, see three tight ends all over again. <laughs> He's going to come out there, and Cliff Kingsbury is going to evolve into Max Williams no. and Zach Ertz and the new guy, Trey McBride. And he's going to be like, wait a minute, I thought I left Baltimore, and the coach is running 13 personnel again. Well, first of all, I every time we ask Cliff Kingsbury about Max Williams, I don't get the warm fuzzies about anything. And, in fact, at one point oh boy. he mentioned something about an initial surgery. <laughs> initial? Yeah. As in and what, well, the first of multiple? No, nobody followed up. I didn't even think about it till later, but he said something about the initial surgery. And when oh, you boy. start saying initial, you start thinking there was more than one. And, and when was that knee surgery? Is that October? Yeah. So it was after week five, right? Max Williams was injured in week five. Yeah. So you're thinking, okay, he's tracking. He'll be ready for the beginning. Not if he had a follow-up surgery. And there's also no willingness of the head coach or the GM to put a timetable on Max Williams, is there? Yeah. And I would, I would say, and even when Cliff was talking about I asked him about what his biggest uh, – coming out of this draft, what his biggest thought was in terms of what position he was looking at or what he's going to be watching most closely when he gets on the field, when the guys actually get on the field. And what he said was finding a way to incorporate all these weapons into the offense, and he started going over a lot of them. And when he got to tight end, he mentioned Zach, and he mentioned Trey McBride, 
and I noticed he didn't mention Max. Now, again, Max is on this team, and I think they want him to, to play a role, but uh, to me, until I see him on the field, um, I, I, I want to see him on the field. And quite frankly, after the Hollywood Brown trade and then the, the turnabout to Trey McBride being drafted, which, you know, or uh, not Trey McBride, the, the Hopkins suspension, when I start thinking about Trey McBride being drafted, you start wondering, okay, maybe he was the highest guy on the board, but maybe there's some other details that we're just not privy to that is influencing some of this stuff. Well, so. maybe they must think that Max will be back maybe later in the season. They just signed him to a one-year deal. so They did. Right, but but I, I'm agreeing. I, it does not seem from what we have kind of picked up on the last couple of weeks that Max does not at least seem to be on track to be ready to go at least by training camp, maybe early on. Because think about this. At pick number 55 in round two when the Cardinals took the tight end, Trey McBride, they left edge rushers on that board. Uh, in round two at that point, Sam Williams went to the Cowboys with the next pick. Drake Jackson, a few picks later out of USC. Nick Benito, my guy out of Oklahoma, was still on the board as well. So there were three second-tier edge rushers who could have been Arizona Cardinals. And look, it's always easy to take out the crystal football and look at the draft, right? But you know who was on the board at number 100 when you went with an edge rusher was the Ohio State tight end, Jeremy Ruckert, who was pretty highly rated and thought of. The Ohio State tight end who basically got zero targets because he played with three ridiculous receivers at Ohio State. But he's 6'5", 250 and thought to be a dual tight end as well. So theoretically... Looking back, you could have gone edge rusher in round two and then picked up Jeremy Ruckard with pick number 100 in round three, the tight end out of Ohio State. Well, that's but, a, but you're also assuming that they had those edge rushers that they left on the board. They thought really highly of them, and maybe they didn't. I can tell you from talking to certain people, not necessarily with the Cardinals, but other people and other personnel departments, that Drake Jackson um, didn't exactly uh, show well at the Combine for a variety of reasons. So, yeah, you're right. A lot of those guys. And Nick Benito is not thought to be an every-down edge guy. He's more of a pass rush specialist, for example. And then Sam Williams had off-the-field stuff. So there's instantly you can cite one big issue with each one of those three that they left on the board. So to Darren's point, absolutely. I'm just theorizing here as to why perhaps Trey McBride might have been, you know, viewed as the pick right there. Now, it was your question where he kind of asked why Trey McBride in round two, nobody saw a tight end coming. And Steve Kimes' answer was, yeah, not only the best player, Darren, but by far yeah. the best. That was a quote, by far the best rated, graded player on their board at that point. I mean, later when he starts talking about, and he brought it up with McBride, Steve Kime started talking about, you know, this isn't just always about this season. And when you start thinking about, okay, yeah, they did just sign Zach Ertz to an extension, and that's great. But Zach Ertz is also 30. 31. 31. So you don't know what we got left. We've already talked about what maybe some uncertainty about Max Williams I mean, he's you, in his you, late 20s. You can't just ignore positions because you think you're okay for the time being. And, in fact, what's funny is is I some of the same people that are don't understand the tight end pick are the same people that are like, well, wait a minute, if, all, if four of our five offensive linemen are free agents after this season, how are you not picking offensive linemen? Well, it's the same concept. <laughs> it's true. Right? Yeah. So Looking, that, that, looking that, ahead. That's where my thought was of why an offensive lineman – was high, at least on my personal list, entering the draft and trying yeah. to get some depth there. So I, I like the pick at tight end. It definitely caught a lot of us by surprise. It wasn't as high up on a lot of our needs. But, again, we're not privy I mean, to the same amount of information that those on the football side are. Look at the Ravens, who were picking 14. And you already mentioned that DaCosta mentioned that he didn't think the receivers were quite as good as everybody said. But they're picking 14. They just got rid of Hollywood Brown. In theory, they're number one. I know they have Rashad Bateman, who they drafted high last year. But you could go get another receiver, and he took a safety. Yeah, Kyle Hamilton out of uh, Notre Dame. Yeah, yes. and, and a very good yeah. prospect and somebody who some people think he's going to be the best player in this draft. But And you know what? If you look at the Ravens' draft history in the first round with the receivers, because he's taken his share between him and Ozzie Newsom, they have not fared real well. So maybe they have buyer's remorse on getting a receiver in round one. Uh, again, I, I – you, you don't know nobody we can we can go up and down with all the emotions over what teams pick what the cardinals pick in the draft but you don't know yeah. 
And, and we don't know the first six opponents on this schedule. It'll be announced next week about this time. Do we know if the Cardinals have enough in the receiver room to compete and win games minus D-Hop? Danny, what do you think? Do you think there's going to be a time time sign of veteran free agent receiver coming in? No, but I do still think that this receiving core is set up enough to still be competitive and win games. The only problem is they have the statistically the second most difficult schedule just behind the Los Angeles Rams. True. So it's AFC West. So that that's what I'm thinking of. You've got a, a mean defense, a lot of mean defenses coming your way, and you don't have D Hop. Now I think if you were looking at this, like this is not a bad receiving core to begin with. It's just you don't have one of the top, very top elite wide receivers in the league that should be on the field. So of course it is a big drop off, but I do still think this receiving core is set up to be successful. I. They need De- DeAndre Hopkins, clearly. But, I mean, again, like what Danny was saying before, if you insert Hollywood Brown for Christian Kirk and you have Zach Ertz, who now knows the offense really well, and you have Rondale Moore, who in theory is going to take a step forward, and you have A.J. Green, who wasn't bad last year. He trailed off, and he admits he's got to get better. But in theory, on paper, you should have enough to tread water, in my opinion. And I think not, not when you're going over all those names is almost sneaky running back is what kind of makes me think, is that where the biggest difference between the offense without having DeAndre Hopkins last year or this year is? Because if, you know, you replace Christian Kirk with Hollywood Brown, we've agreed that we think the Cardinals are better off. But last year, the Cardinals in the backfield were sharing reps between James Conner and Chase Edmonds, two very different types of backs. And they don't have Chase Edmonds. They chose to go with James Conner, and they signed him. So now it's the question, which we've talked about, is who is that other running back? Are you going to try and find another back to share the load similarly with James Conner the way Chase Edmonds did? Or are they going to go with a different approach? Is James Conner capable of being that true number one and taking more of a load on? And so that is honestly kind of where we're talking about the biggest difference in the offenses of not having D-Hop on the field last year to now is they had that reassurance in the backfield with Connor and Edmonds. And now it's, is it going to be, we've talked about, is it Eno? Is it this rookie they just brought in, Keontae Ingram? What What's the plan there? It's interesting to me when you talk about it because by the time DeAndre Hopkins went out for the season at the end with a knee injury, they didn't have Edmonds and Connor together. It's a good point. They never played together. They barely played together down the stretch. They One, one of the two was always injured, and yep. even in the playoff game, they were still banged up. So it's funny to, you know, Cliff has said many times when we didn't have Hop, it was the big difference. Who knows? Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not the receiver. Maybe it's the need to make sure you have a couple of running backs who can give you different stuff, which goes back to what you were just saying is who's going to be that other running back and can they team with James Conner and give them something? I mean, we were talking off air about how Ingram is probably more in the Conner role, which does not surprise me because you're going to want to have that ability if James Conner gets banged up. So who plays who's in the Edmonds role? I mean, it, it is there a chance that it's going to be Eno Benjamin? Can he do that? Well, quoting Keontae Ingram, the six-round pick out of USC, the Texas transfer, six foot two eighteen is what he said his weight is right now. Uh, Ingram saying to the his media, weight W E I G H T. That's right. That's right. You were the one who asked the question I about. Did. Yeah, you said uh, well, how about that weight? You meant it sold a six round. Yeah, dot, dot, dot. I mean, I, every time we get on conference calls, I'm yeah. usually like the first person to ask something because nobody else wants to. So I'm like, <laughs> some of us were on shows. Darren. I'm not talking about you. Just relax. <laughs> and and so I get on there. <laughs> it's the sixth round size. So so how was the weight? Like yeah. it's been a long day. And he's like two eighteen. <laughs> and if you listen to the sound. I clearly, like, I'm fumbling over myself. I'm like, 218, what does that mean? Is that, like, how many days he's waited for the draft? I never clued in until way after that he was talking about his pounds. But it's really uh, evident that he'd been asked that question a lot over the last three months because that was a big question with him. What is his playing weight? So he's thinking, oh, this is just some other guy asking me about my weight. What the heck? I mean, they can't even say congratulations. You've been drafted. It's a big moment in your football career. They're already asking me about my weight. These media, these hard-hitting media guys in Arizona. Are you kidding me? 
So anyway, he said, I'm a bigger back that can run between the tackles and move in space. He calls himself a true three-down running back. And uh, and what's interesting is he played against Kyler in 2018. They actually played high school football against each other. And, uh, and so – but to your point earlier, yeah, there's – absolutely a reason why they target a bigger back in, in round six and I think he's going to have every chance to be me be one of the first rookies to really contribute obviously Trey McBride especially if Max Williams isn't available beyond Trey McBride I mean I'm looking at this Keontae Ingram has the best chance right away to contribute as a player I think just because you know what it is wide open in my opinion behind James Conner and and they don't want to give him 30 carries a game I agree that it's wide open behind James Conner, but I would also say that it would have to do, to me, if that happened, it's because of the ease that you can go from college running back to play. Because I don't think there's any question that if Cameron Thomas or my Jay Sanders show anything as a pass rusher, they need to get on the field. Just the needed edge. Just the Just need. the fact there's a glaring, glaring hole opposite Marcus Golden. I mean, to me, yes. We talked about this when Paul was on Cardinals draft central um but I while we're on this topic I want to ask your thoughts Darren Cardinals took three edge rushers Paul bounced me from that show by the way (laughs) but anyways go ahead above my pay grade uh back-to-back picks with Cameron Thomas and my Jay Sanders yes I'm not implying at all that my expectation is for the two of them combined to come in and replicate what Chandler Jones did on the field my question is how much did the Cardinals close the gap from those draft picks for that glaring need at edge. Okay. So for me, uh, there's a couple things, and part of this goes back to what Paul said earlier about uh, at 23 and you could add a pass rusher or taking the pass rusher at the second round. I've been around long enough. Paul was around. Uh, and I've mentioned this on a couple different pr- platforms. Cody Brown was a team, was a uh, edge rusher that they took in the second round in 2009. So it would have been later. It would have been th- pick 31. Uh, well, would have been the second round later in the in the round after they made the Super Bowl because they desperately needed an edge rusher that would fit a 3-4 defense and all their pass rushers were essentially 4-3 defensive ends and they were trying desperately to make the switch and they took this guy and they knew they were overdrafting him, uh, which I didn't find out till later, but they knew they were overdrafting him, but they felt like the need was so huge there that they took him and he completely washed out he never did anything <laughs> he was, and he, he he was the epitome of a bust yeah he was was that the same year they no it wasn't the same year i think the next year they got buster davis in round three and i hosted an event after the draft buster davis was 2007 was seven it was earlier so okay it was the year it was two years before where I mean, he was a third round yeah, pick. third round pick didn't, didn't even make the team out of training no camp. didn't even make the team out of training he camp. put they the bust into buster and uh, uh, Cody Brown was at least around for two years. He hurt his hand in preseason of his rookie year, spent the entire year in IR, then got cut after training camp in his second year. So anyways, oh, you don't want to do that again. For me, no. with two third-round picks, obviously third round, it is what it is. You, you want third-round picks to perform. But my way of thinking is if one of these two guys can click, you've hit gold. And when I say click, I mean be able to give you 10 sacks a year. If more, that's great. The odds say one of them isn't going to be successful. And we can talk about uh, um, the kid from Penn State in the seventh round. Um, Lucetta. Lucetta. Jesse Lucetta. Jesse Lucetta. Who, who might be an inside linebacker. Yeah, I mean, I think they got him for special teams. He was listed as an edge. He's He runs a 4-8-9-40. He's, not, he, he's a guy that you want on your team. To, to fill out the bottom of the roster, to be really smart and to play special teams and, and fill in. I don't know if he's going to be. But these other two guys, yeah. you need one of them to hit. And to, to get to your point, Danny, for me, um, I think they closed the gap mostly because the gap was so big. I don't know what's going to happen with these guys. I mean, there are a lot of – there are reasonable questions with both these guys. Cam Thomas is a guy that – He's his size feels a little tweenish. Yep. He's not big enough to be a three four end, and he's not quite athletic enough in terms of or speedy enough to be the true three four edge. But he's a, he's a try hard guy, and and we'll see how that pays off. Sanders has a little bit more athleticism, but he doesn't have the production, and 
and you got to you want to see he had a ton of pressures, a ton of quarterback pressures. Can he translate that into getting some sacks once in a while? And and coaches will say, I mean, if he can get a million pressures, then if he gets five sacks, they'll be happy with a million pressures. But Chandler Jones got a ton of pressures last year too. And all anybody would talk about was after those five sacks that first season, where were you? So you, there's got to be some production. I think they're still always going to be on the lookout. I don't think either one of those guys or even together replace Chandler Jones. But with Chandler Jones gone, you needed to get some help. And I think hopefully that they can. And you're going to need them right away. That's the problem is who, who's out there free agent wise. Well, there is no one out there. And that's the thing. You're you're not whoa, replacing whoa, whoa, Chandler whoa, whoa, Jones. Whoa, whoa, at this what thing. about a Jadavian Clowney or what well, about him? Melvin Ingram? He's, he he kind of got uh, tied Melvin up now in, by yeah, KC. That's not, not really going to happen. Out. I mean, yeah. there there are a few veteran names out there, a few that might be possibilities. Can I'm I not saying question? it's likely. Why but do you think Jadavian Clowney is such a good? I mean. He, he's so good that nobody will give him a, a contract past one year for like five years running. Well, true. I'm, I'm not, I, and I'm I'm not on board with doing that either. Yeah, I, I know. It, I get it, it. it would be a one-year rental. There's no doubt. But if there's a fit, and if there's enough of a connection still between Vance Joseph and JV and Clowney, and you can actually rely on Vance Joseph and his connection from the Houston JJ days, Watt trying to sell yeah, him. and JJ Watt, then then I think you would have an advantage over most teams. I'm not saying it's likely or – I haven't know, gotten but, one whiff of Jadavian Clowney coming here. But considering the Cardinals' need at the position, uh, I'm just saying. Because you can look at – to your point, Cameron Thomas, the All-American second team out of San Diego State, you're right. I mean, how does this not scream tweener, 6'4", 267? He wears 99 like J.J. Watt, but he doesn't have that size. And, you know, look – I had someone in the personnel department text me, and he said, look, huge motor in caps, all-out effort, production off the charts, lives behind the line of scrimmage, right? He wears 99 for a reason. So he's going to come in, he's going to bust his tail, and, you know, if he's better than Devon Kennard, okay. But Kennard does a really good job of setting the edge in the run game. Yeah. So, you know, if you're Vance Joseph, who do you trust? The <laughs> rookie who's going to be seeing everything for the first time and could fall victim real easy to a rookie mistake and gets sucked inside and now all of a sudden some sort of run play ends up on the outside and gets yeah, the edge I, and that guy's gone in the opener. I mean, I would know. expect both these guys to be situational pass rushers more at first before anything, because I do agree that I think as it stands right now, Devon Kennard is probably your other starting linebacker in base defense. And then if you get in passing situations, the price switches up. In fact, Quentin Harris, the Cardinals VP of player personnel, was on the Pash Pod. You can check that out. And Dave asked him about my Jay Sanders. And Quentin Harris said, look, on film, you see how disruptive he is. There was some question about his weight. I guess he got sick after the season. He fell to 228, but he plays at 240-ish. Called him a tempo setter. Great effort. Needs to work on his finish. That's the reason he didn't have a lot of sacks. But to Darren's point, he had a lot of pressures. Really disruptive. And according to Quentin Harris, he missed seven sacks last year. Just didn't quite finish. But like running back, if that's one of those areas, one of those positions where you can make the transition and just say it's third and seven, go out there, go get them. Just go get them. Just just pin your ears back, go after off the edge, go after the quarterback. That can translate immediately from the college game to the NFL game. And when you start getting into those that part of the draft uh, later on in round three and then, of course, in day three, round four through seven, you really have to take that into consideration with players of maybe they didn't have the most production, but do they have enough of the skills to get started to where they can come in and your coaching staff can help them develop and get those skills they need to translate into the NFL and be productive? We, uh, we've barely had, we've had two preseason games in two years. Uh, they had the whole 2020 wiped out, and then last year the Cardinals only got two of their three. Man, that's right. Because of the, that's right. the exciting plane trip to nowhere, to New Orleans. But, we were somewhere over Amarillo, and we did a U-turn. I think that these preseason games just mean so much this year for what the Cardinals are trying to do because they have guys that they could use, that they really could use get some live reps. I, I think that's why um, spending that week in Nashville and maybe going against the Titans for a practice or two will mean something because I do think it's going to impact – this current roster more than maybe it would have, let's say, last year. 
By the way, can I say this, that, Darren, you're going to be able to fill a notebook in Nashville like you wouldn't believe. Uh, that that trip to Nashville. My personal life has nothing to do with this podcast. <laughs> yes. I mean, that joint practice week with the Nashville uh, at Nashville with the Tennessee Titans, yeah. uh, I mean, they are rising to the top of the drama power rankings right now. The right. whole Ryan Tannehill thing. I saw that. Do you see him meeting the media? And talking about throwing the three picks against Cincinnati and going out in round one as a top seed in the NFL playoffs, right? Or I guess it would have been round two as a top seed. And he said, it's a scar. This is Ryan Tannehill in that bad game, the playoff loss. It's a deep scar. A lot of sleepless nights. Every time I closed my eyes, I was seeing it. I was in a dark place. Now it's fuel for me. Nice. That was a great one. And then in the A.J. Brown trade, he said, quote, I was shocked. When I first found out, I'm like, this isn't real. This isn't really happening. It's a rumor. And then I talked to AJ and found out it was real. I slept terrible that night and kept thinking it was just a bad dream. But that's where we're at. I thought you were talking about what he said earlier today about not wanting to be a mentor to Malik Willis, that it's not his job to mentor the young quarterback. I was wondering. I retweeted Kurt Warner about (laughs) being a mentor, and I was wondering where it was coming from. I'm building towards that, Dan. Oh, I'm so sorry. Shoot. These these things happen. I take it back. They happen in threes. So the third quote was about Traylon Burks coming, and uh, and then also, well, and then Malik Willis in particular, and Tannehill's answer when asked if he would be a mentor, and I quote, we're competing against each other. We're watching the same tape. We're doing the same drills. I don't think it's my job to mentor him. But if he learns from me along the way, that's a great thing. <laughs> See, I, I – There's going to be a lot of drama in Nashville. I I get it. <laughs> and I don't have a big – Eli Manning apparently used to say kind of the same thing. Kurt Warner then tweets out, hey, I, I don't understand. I'd be a mentor to everybody. Brett Favre never really wanted to mentor Aaron Rodgers. I, I – that tells me that you do not have a lot of confidence. Can I say this, though? And, Darren, you were there in Flagstaff when it was Kurt against Matt Leinart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kurt was one of the most competitive athletes I've ever seen in that training camp. Yes. And he made it known that he was schooling the youngster Matt Leinart. Well, I think one of the reasons Kurt had no problem mentoring when he was playing was because he – there was no way you could be as good as him, so he didn't really care. But if I truly believe that. You can you can be competitive and still work hard to keep your job and then also work in the film room to help teach a young quarterback where heaven forbid if you get hurt or you can't play can still lead your team to a win. Well, and it's funny you say that because one of the things that frustrated Kurt to no end was that he never felt like Matt truly – embraced the the film work in the film no no you're absolutely right on that yeah so i i look it wasn't exactly philo with matt first in last out as they say in accounting i mean danny is is one of the nicer human beings you'll ever meet really i understand why she's coming from this way i think it depends who you ask but i appreciate the compliment that's what i thought before the yawn i take that (laughs) that was not personal I'm i'm taking the yawn personal by the way just to add to the drama, Ryan Tannehill did, has not been showing up to the OTAs in Nashville. And he said today as part of his explanation, why not? He said, well, I've been working on my own. Don't worry about that. I'm fit and everything. And I've been finishing up a home renovation, which was a new <laughs> one. I hadn't heard that one. I'm, I'm not. So you guys are really lucky right now that I'm here for this podcast because I have like four ridiculous home projects going on right now none of which are my choice just brutal fixes counting my lucky stars if you know anyone who will fill in a pool come on over to casa calvisi i'm so sick and tired of the pool but anyway darren go why don't you just leave the pool empty and have like a little skate that's what he's trying to do he wants to oh well forget home renovation i want home demolition just get some skateboards some scooters oh you guys will be the fun parents demolition that's right i will say this about the voluntary work i mean we we come around to this every year but I think people need to start understanding, and I think coaches will probably need to start understanding, this has changed probably permanently at this point. And you're not going to have your whole team out there the whole offseason, and it's just not going to happen. And, you know, I, I look, that's, that's what's collectively bargained. If you want players here, you're going to need to collectively bargain it, and that means you're probably going to have to pay them to be here. And I don't, I don't have an argument with that. You know, that's – that's the whole point. Their salaries are to play 17 games and to go to training camp, which, by the way, technically they don't get paid for training camp. They get like a per diem. 
Um, but they don't. The salaries don't kick until the regular season. It's supposed that's supposed to be from the beginning of the regular season to the end of the regular season. They don't even get paid for the playoffs other than their bonuses for playing each round. So you know the the fact that players it seems like are getting more and more like, hey, this is my off time and I'm not necessarily going to be there. As long as you show up in shape. That's right. Well. And how does A.J. Brown pertain to the NFC West? Well, I'm glad you asked, Danny, uh, because this is our chance now to look over the block wall into our neighbor's backyard. You guys realize I did not until recently that A.J. Brown's agent is the same agent as Debo Samuel. So you wonder where that is tracking exactly and if uh, that can be more problematic. The Niners thought they had an issue with Jimmy G and trying to get rid of that $25 million contract and get something in return for Jimmy G. Uh, good luck with that, and good luck with Debo Samuel at this point. Well, and supposedly the rumors were that they were getting trade offers during the draft, and they just I, – I don't think it – from there my understanding – There were offers, though. But do you think they are willing to trade him? I mean I, – I, I don't I, even get the vibe that they would be willing to trade him unless somebody is – Giving them, I've I've come to the point that I'm never saying never when it comes to trades anymore because you never know what somebody might offer. But well, you just said never, Darren. So jokes on you. Based on an interview I did on KNBR <laughs> after the Cardinals draft, and we got into Debo at the end, and my guy Greg Papa, voice of the 49ers, I can tell you this much: I think they're all in denial. I think they're all in denial in Silicon Valley right now. Yeah, they think that we they won't trade Debo's him. Just, just play. Yeah, they think Debo's just going to stick around and play, and there's no problem. Uh, no, I no. don't see him playing. No, they 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 so better you think sober he'd up. Sit out? I would not be entirely surprised. So, okay, here's the problem with sitting out. Or maybe hold in, come to training camp and not participate, maybe, pull that deal. Maybe, but here's the thing. If he's not holding out for a contract, if he's holding out to be traded, you can't do that. I mean, eventually, I mean, if, if they get to the point where they think you're not going to play, then you might, act, you might eventually get your trade, but you're – you you've driven down the thing. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of sticky parts to this, and I I think not playing because if you hold out, if you just don't show up, you don't you do, you lose that year for free agency. So, well, and then speaking of the NFC West, uh, how about the last place Seahawks? It was conspicuous by their draft class they did not take a quarterback, and uh, Coach Double Rainbow Pete Carroll saying uh, per their QB room. Somebody get the lie detector ready because when he was asked about his collection of quarterbacks right now, Geno Smith, Drew Locke, and Jacob Eason, quote, we're really happy with the guys we've got, end quote. So what? What, what do you else think is that he means? supposed to say? We're trading for Baker. Is that what you're waiting for him to say? Well, he's, they're waiting for the Browns to cut Baker Mayfield. Well, was, probably wasn't their first pick an offensive lineman? Yes. Their first two picks, I believe, were tackles. They got two tackles, two rookies who could easily be their starting tackles this year. I mean, it's got to make you chuckle at least a little, right? The thought that Russell Wilson was sacked the most <laughs> right. by a landslide. Makes, yeah. and, makes us chuckle. I don't right, know. Makes, makes us Russell chuckle. Wilson and then chuckle. he yeah. leaves to go to Denver and first two picks in that next draft, offensive lineman. Yeah. So there's the latest uh, on the last place, uh, Seahawks, on that one. And by the way, look – did the Tennessee Titans think that they were going to trade away A.J. Brown? A number of people busted out the soundbite from just two months ago where Mike Vrabel looked at the media and said he won't be on the trade block, quote, as long as I'm the head coach, end quote. And a month or so later, they traded away A.J. Brown. That so, might have been out of his control. Yeah. So uh, it's just it's a new age in the NFL, yes. not unlike the NBA where these players are able to force their way out and or to teams they want to go. A lot more control. Absolutely. And it's not just the Russell Wilsons. It's not just the marquee quarterbacks. It's now other position players, as we are obviously seeing. Heck, Marquise Hollywood Brown told us, and it'll be an interview on the Big Red Rage. And I think he told the media as well, and or he told the Baltimore media, he confirmed he requested a trade to start this offseason. He no longer wanted to stay in Baltimore. Nothing personal. Didn't think it was a good fit in the system. Didn't like the sorts of targets he was getting. Didn't like the run-heavy, tight-end-heavy type scheme. And so he wanted out. And so for Lamar Jackson to send out some of those tweets that we can't really repeat or at least uh, define the acronym that he sent out, uh, that was interesting. Like, why would he play dumb for lack of a better term like why would he react like that when 
Marquise Hollywood Brown pretty much set up front. Yeah, I let Lamar, he's my guy. I let him know to start the offseason where I was at. Well, maybe. Or at least what I was requesting. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe he told him he wasn't requesting. Maybe Lamar never really believed that it was going to happen. Perhaps, yeah. That's well, as plausible a theory as any. You're possible, for Cardinals fans, you're possible number one wide receiver not only has chemistry with quarterback Kyler Murray from their days in University of Oklahoma as teammates, but they've also been training together in Dallas in the offseason. And Brown was telling the media that Kyler was already giving him the, the play calls. Before Kyler was not in the know, of course, of what was going down, yeah. but they were hopeful, I guess, in the sense of they'd been friends for a long time, have been talking about since they entered the the league together, wanting to play together, and they were training down there together, and he knew Brown was interested in a trade, and so they he was saying Kyler's already been helping me out with some of the play calls, yeah. so there's that chemistry already going for them. Yeah, so to come full circle for everyone wondering maybe why the Cardinals didn't get a rookie receiver, think about it. You have a proven entity, a proven 1,000-yard receiver in Marquise Hollywood-Brown who has proven existing chemistry with Kyla Murray, who's played in this sort of offense before. Both he and Cliff Kingsbury cited the similarities to Lincoln Riley's system. So, I mean, if you want a plug-and-play type guy who can produce immediately, then this was the route you went. This is the avenue you took. And, you know, going for a trade versus – someone in the draft who is just a complete unproven and unknown so a player the cardinals had their eye on back in 2019 brown had what was it a foot injury that he kind of slid a little Liz in the, Frank yeah. injury yeah. uh in the first round and kime was telling the media they they had looked into that was of course they took kyler murray first overall pick that was they had kind of looked into trading back up into the first round to get brown and then he was taken by the ravens and now it's all come full, full circle and I told this on the Big Red Rage and actually at the draft party as well when I asked Hollywood Brown, I just said, well, if you would have been healthy at the Combine, what would you have run? Because he never did run. And he said, oh, I would have been sub 4-3 and maybe maybe had a shot at the record, meaning John Ross 4-2-2, which, okay, that's sort of like every guy in the locker room thinks he can ball, he can play basketball. Okay, I get it. But I think he is a legitimate sub 4-3 guy because he was clocked at 4 3 at the JC, his JC year before he went to Oklahoma and I think it's realistic to think with training for the combine, he would have run sub 4-3. So anyway, you got a legitimate burner, and we'll see how that figures into the Cardinals' uh, offense. As for the schedule, what do we know on this, Darren? It's coming out here in the next month. Is that the latest? Uh, no, next week. Bef well, I'm sorry, in the next week, yes. International, a little sooner. Yes, by the, by, the time, uh, by the time we record the next podcast, we will know the date and the opponent for the Mexico game because that comes out after we record this, but before next recording. And then a week from th uh, Thursday, May 12th, is when uh, the entire schedule gets put out there. Gotcha. And by the way, if you're looking for a sleeper on day three of the draft, have you guys noticed there's been a lot of glowing reports on Lasita Smith, the guard out of Virginia Tech, who was taken number 215 overall, round six, 6'3", 315. And uh, they just talk about how he, as a former high school tight end, he has really good feet, and he has the ability to pull. That Quinn Harris with Dave Pash on the Pash Pod just said he, he called him a steal. He actually used that word. We think that was a steal in round six. He's great as a puller, good feet, tough, physical, plays with an attitude. To what nice. degree do you think that starting right guard spot is up for grabs? Will Hernandez, Lasita Smith, I mean, like the starting right guard spot, to what degree do you think – that is a competition, a legitimate competition. Even a Marquise Hayes, who started his final 37 games at guard at Oklahoma, second-team All-Big 12 as a senior, he's pretty advanced in his development. Do you think one of these rookies could give Will Hernandez a run? Justin Murray even, right, if Justin Murray's healthy. I mean, you got four guys maybe who could figure into that competition. In terms of a rookie, I don't know they'll necessarily give a true run for their money against Will Hernandez. It's possible. I would say right guard is – the position that has the most likelihood of of some true competition happening that I guess and maybe right tackle depending on you yeah. know when you think, think about what the Car Josh, when when you think about what the Cardinals are wanting from Josh Jones yes, over Calvin Beach I would agree with that yes I mean obviously you would like for Josh Jones to finally step forward he's a third round pick you want him to do that but I feel like every every inkling we have is that Calvin Beachum is just continues to play solid enough that yes but that that's what I mean by competition I think 
that's what the coaching staff would probably want to see by this point from Josh Jones. Yeah. But but I, I don't Coaches know how much. always talk about competition, and then amazingly, there's really <laughs> never any real competition. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know how much true competition <laughs> I would expect off yeah. the bat from uh, I mean, one of these late-round rookies over Will Hernandez. No, yeah. On paper, well, they're there's, all this, fighting for yeah. it. No, they're not. Yeah, this time of year, they have the little magnets on the board, and everyone's competing, all these little magnets. And then the magnets become human beings, and they realize the rookie has no clue, and he can't be trusted, and I he's mean, a liability, and I'm not going to put my job on the line in the name of this rookie. And so guess what? You're out, and I'm playing the veteran. Uh, if you go, and it's 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 like the, the roster thing. You start training camp. Well, everybody's battling. Yeah, they've got – Bottom line, out of our 53 spots, we know 50 of them already. Okay, well then I guess everybody's battling. I'm not sure for what, but. So you know what? We'll come full circle with a rookie quote. We oh, started. I thought you were going to come full circle no. on the yawn. We we came with the Trey McBride. Oh, I, I well, could pull out a yawn real quick. I'm yeah. still sleeping. No, I don't. I don't put it past Danny. And I, I actually I might actually elicit a, a yawn here momentarily. We'll see awesome. if this goes over. But remember the Trey McBride quote to start things off about an Arizona summer. And he said, "Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm excited to see it for myself." I wasn't there, so it's a legitimate question. Did Chris Matthew, the corner out of Valdosta State, 6'2 corner, by the way, mm-hmm. did he really say he wanted some of that smoke that is DeAndre Hopkins? Yes. No, he did say that Careful the, the what question you was, wish for. The question was, you know, do you, do you, are you excited to learn from him? And he said, yes, absolutely. I want to go against him. Then he made some kind of comment about going up against uh, – DeAndre Hopkins, and then he said something about, yeah, I do want to make the point that he's old. And then he kind of chuckled, and then he went on to say that DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best receivers in the league, and he wants to be able to battle him in practice because it might make him a better player. So, yeah, okay. I mean, we, we need a little context there, but I don't think that Chris – I will say this. Chris Matthew, and I don't know anything about him other than they drafted him from Valdosta State uh, – and he has an 80-inch wingspan, by he, the way. He uh, he definitely carries the I'm a cornerback, so I've got that <laughs> attitude, confidence thing going. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, Valdosta State, I have no idea where it is. Uh, but Georgia? They do have – I feel like it's in Georgia. They have two corners who are active in the NFL, including Kenny Moore, the Colts. All right. Think about that. It's all coming together. There you it go. It is in Georgia. We'll draft yes. Factoid. I'm a fire. To wrap up this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. No yawning.